0: Today on the show, Maddie Brown, co-host of the Seattle Overload podcast from way over in the UK, is going to help us break down the X's and the O's on the defensive side of the ball for the Seahawks, as only Maddie can. He does it so well, and I can't wait for you to hear what he has to say about what he's been able to see so far in training camp and the mock game, including from some of the footage that I sent him that I took about the schematic changes and the technique changes that should hopefully result in an improved run defense for the Seattle Seahawks. Maddie Brown coming up next on Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Welcome back, everybody. And just a little side note. I have, from time to time, had it suggested to me that some of you aren't a huge fan of the young lady that does the voiceover for my intro. Um, I was going for a very specific feel when I had that recorded, uh, but I think the show has grown up a little bit, and I am going to be changing that out. Just a, a little teaser there for you. But one thing I do not need to change out, one voice that we love hearing on the show joins us again from all the way on the other side of the planet. Maddie Brown from the Seattle Overload podcast is here. Maddie, it's been a while. It's good to see you. How are you?
1: Yeah, it has been a while. I think I'm good, thank you. I think like last time I was a bit younger. I think I was pacing around <laughs> a kitchen. I think it was audio only. It's cool to be on camera. It um, was. Your, it young, was your I logo,
0: the young lady. It was your it was your spoken logo, is what we were looking at, and it was a different incarnation of the show. Uh, it wasn't Seahawks forever. So um, that's
1: right. Oh my gosh, my Seahawks forever debut. There you go. There you go. Yeah, no, I'm good. Thanks for having <laughs> me on. And, uh,
0: Absolutely. Uh we love having you on and the viewers and listeners love having you on because um your your knowledge of uh the schematic side of football is something that is uh impressive and and uh it's a lot of fun um listening to you break things down and um I it, it's amazing to me as a as as a lifelong football fan growing up we never talked this way, I, you know. Certainly, the the proliferation of social media and the internet has has connected us in a way that now we get these voices. But I think there's an appetite for it, and and it shows up whenever I have you or your co-host Griffin Sturgeon on. Um, there's a there's a segment of the fan base now that really wants to know about the technical side of the game um, uh, whether that gives them some sort of understanding of what's happening on the field and and, and helps them to to understand what they're seeing with their eyes because maybe they don't like what they're seeing or they don't like the results but getting the why instead of just the what um, a lot of people really like it and what we're going to do today is talk about the mock game Um, and because I know that you are like a detective And you love to find anything you can, even I've seen you comment on um, some of the video that that the Seahawks will stream from training camp, which normally is just drills. And you'll pick up things about how a certain defensive lineman is playing a certain technique and it'll give you clues into what they're doing. So um, we're going to do some of that today.
1: Yeah, there you go. A little little teaser there mm-hmm. the, the technique thing. That might be a big thing. We might spend the whole podcast on one defensive line technique and how we can extrapolate that into the Seahawks run defense being solved forever. <laughs>
0: It's It's been the focus really of this offseason, hasn't it? It Last year, the focus was quarterback and uh, and what was going to happen there and who was going to get that job and, and whether there were acquisitions that were going to be made, how the Seahawks were going to survive and, and move on after the Russell Wilson era. This year, it 90% of the conversation among fans and analysts seems to be, are they going to be able to improve that run defense? And that seems to be... What, what is holding some prognosticators back from, from, uh, from placing the Seahawks a little higher when it comes to preseason predictions. Gen, in a general sense, from what you've been able to see, and I sent you, I think, all of the video that I took um, from the mock game on Thursday uh, or on Friday. What have you seen generally um, that they're doing on defense this year that's different and has anything stood out to you or surprised you early on?
1: Well, to, to avoid me uh, being taken out by, like, a, a VMAX sniper or, or something, if they, if they exist, but I may or may not have watched those videos you took. Very useful, by the way, if I had watched them. Uh, and other kind people on Twitter may have sent me some clips. And what it looks like is happening is, in a, in a simple sense, Seattle, when they ran their nickel, so their 5 dB look, last season, they ran less of five guys down at line of scrimmage like they had in the 2021 20, season and they ran more of four guys down at the line of scrimmage um they also ran nickel a bit more often what that meant was uh and the way that Seattle did that was was the nose tackle so the guy closest to the center on on the field he would play like a kind of two gapping style so rather than lining up over the center or on the outside shoulder of the center he lined up on the inside shoulder of the guard as like a, what the the football geeks call a two eye because he's on the inside eye of that, that guard. And his style was kind of, yeah, he had the inside gap, but he'd also try and stack that guard on certain runs and win to the, the outside gap. So kind of two gapping. And that was new for Seattle because they'd never played like that. Uh, up front all the time in the nickel. Now they did it when they played two high safeties and then cam chancellor came down to an interior underneath zone. Mm. Um, But generally they, they didn't do it when they were running cover three, for instance, but in the 2022 season with Seattle moving to this Vic Fangio scheme, and obviously Clint hurt really influenced by that when they were running this front, the nickel front, the front they ran for most of the season. They two-gapped, even if they're in cover three or cover one. Uh, Now, why is that noteworthy in cover three and cover one? Because in those types of coverages, you should have one extra guy in the box. You should have as many as eight guys for the seven blockers and then the guy carrying the football. Uh, But Seattle chose not to do that. Now, that's probably because you remember how the league was taken over by the the talk of Brandon Staley and of also of the fanzio tree and the two-high defences, mm-hmm. that's probably because Seattle wanted everything to look the same and to have a two-high presentation. Before, when uh, Pete Carroll used to, to do the two-high, an actual run of two-high coverage, yeah, he'd have the t- kind of two-gappy player. But most of the time, Pete Carroll would have a one-gapping guy. So he'd be, if it was nickel and Seattle was in cover three or cover one, they wouldn't have this 2 eye two-gapping nose tackle the nose tackle would play over the center and be like mainly a one-gapping player when they're in the four-down nickel front. Now, that was very convoluted, but it's important context because from what we've seen here and what we saw early, 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 and you, you mentioned how I, I'm a bit of a degenerate and look through all the Seahawks videos and drills, it appears that Seattle has, when they're in nickel and they're, they're in their four-down look, that nose tackle, even when they're playing the to two-high coverage, he ain't two gapping on the on the guard. Hmm. He is playing over the center as a as a one technique and a pure one gap player. Now, there's some interesting history to this as well because last season Seattle started the year in their base bare front, right? Where before they'd only two gapped when they felt they kind of had to and 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 uh, buy time for a, a player coming from deep and they're playing too high. They played. Every interior three lineman in that five-down bare look, they played everyone two-gapping to start the year, which Mm. is how the Fangio tree has done it, but not how Pete Carroll has ever... Well, not how Pete Carroll has done it, unless it's been a very specific game plan thing. Now, if you remember, Pete Carroll said, and and when I asked him about it in Munich as well, they adjusted Mm -hmm. that look uh, to fit their players, but their adjustment was just how they'd done it pre-2022 so 2021 2020 when they're very good at stopping the run with Mm -hmm. that bear kind of look yeah and they made it more one gapping but if we need to two gap because there's a say a tight end uh and the 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 three-man surface on that side presenting issues or challenges then we will but generally we'll try and play more one gapping in style um and so they they changed it, the bear look, in 2022. And now in 2023, uh, where they didn't change the nickel front from always having that two-gapping nose tackle, now in 2023, it appears they've gone back to how they always used to do it, which is that guy's going to be a one-gap player. So quite a lot to unpack there. Yeah, uh, And I don't want to keep talking, but... <laughs> Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
0: And, and when you say one gap, we also hear, uh, and we hear this from, from the coaching staff um, and those who cover the team, that it's more it's more of an attacking style, right? That that, And we heard Al Woods even, uh, interestingly enough, mention this in one of his first press conferences as a jet after signing with them this offseason, that one of the things that appealed to him about them is ironically it was more of an attacking style and he was bored last year and he didn't like playing that mirroring uh type of technique oddly enough it, it, is that why uh we're seeing the Seahawks get away from the 330 pounder because that's been the thing that the fans have really grabbed onto this offseason is like we're not big enough up front but it, is that by design
1: yeah no I- I love that point because, and it's this point I made when I was I was explaining this uh, on my sub-stack Seahawks on Tape, shameless plug. But that kind of lightness is more suited to to playing the kind of one gap style. Like if you think about Jaron Reed as the the primary plan A nose tackle as we learned in training camp, that does at first feel scary compared to those three thirty, three forty pounders in Al Woods, Brian Monet, the guys they had, yeah. you know, past three two seasons. But Reed's like weight is, you know, he's listed a pro football reference at 313 pounds. Uh, but if you think about, you know, it, on Ross, he's 306 pounds. And that, compared to those guys, is is smaller. Now, he's yeah. not a small guy, but it's smaller, okay? But if you think about when Seattle was running, uh, you know, their old, uh, like their under and over fronts and then running their nickel fronts back in the day, 2012, 2013 type of vibe, Van and Mebane, who was the nose tackle, a very mm-hmm. good nose tackle, who'd play a lot of this one technique I'm talking about—the outside shoulder, one gapping nose—he was listed at six foot one, three hundred eleven pounds. Now, yeah. we've we've kind of become uh, numb to you. Know, uh, we we become desensitized almost to to a small nose tackle. We've we've forgotten that that was a thing. Uh, Is better way of saying that. But yeah, he, he was quite small, but not small, but he wasn't 340. He wasn't massive. And right. interestingly, Pete Carroll, when they drafted Cam Young, he when a reporter suggested that Young was smaller than those tackles, he was like, well, yeah, but that's because those guys were enormous. Like, this guy's not yeah. small, right. and he doesn't play small, by now the way. Our woods
0: get, don't grow on, grow on trees, right?
1: They, they don't. Yeah. And the crazy thing about him as well is he has, like, over 36-inch arms and a 99th percentile vertical jump. Like, he tested crazy hops. Um, yeah. But no, sadly, Al is gone. And so not only is this sort of a way of Seattle doing it, and I haven't even spoke about uh, how this clears up stuff for the the guys behind them. Mm-hmm. But not only is this a way that they've done it in the past, but also their their kind of explanation for this will be, this better suits the type of players we have now. But you know, chicken and the egg, they've got these type of players for a reason. It's because of what they're trying to do. So that's a, as I said, that's a very, um, uh, I agree with that observation. And then, yeah, it, I think that's how it will be explained to us. But like, they spoke about wanting to get more dynamic up front and immediately yeah. you're like, it's Jalen Carter. Um, obviously things didn't work right. out there for whatever reason, yeah. but this kind of lighter style, this kind of more, uh, Upfront style, because if we talk about these techniques, right, you mentioned mirroring, and yeah, they call it a mirror step when Al Wood said he's going to catch a guy and and step with him. That's exactly what you're doing when you're trying to two-gap. But when you're one-gapping, that is a six-inch forward step. You're not stepping lateral and trying to mirror the guy. You're stepping forward and striking the heck out of him or or the crap out of him. So it is a bit more downhill, even though Seattle will still want these guys to in the main hold that guy first if they can win the gap great but they want to still keep the guys behind clean
0: and correct me if i'm wrong but didn't i see that that was one of the things that you noticed right away the first day or two of training camp when you saw some drill video is that you're that's what you're talking about right that six inch forward step
1: absolutely dan yeah absolutely because it was uh i think it was it was carl scott mic'd up and they're very careful to Mm -hmm. give us scott's back um and he's yeah. in like half a shot but what you saw was cam young and he is one lined tighter up over the center rather than on the guard even from the weird wide angle you can tell that and then two his right foot uh he was on the left hand side his right foot is stepping forward and he's hitting the center wow. and it's like
0: and that um, was back in minicamp wasn't it the, this the it carl was, yeah, scott was, thing you're talking about yeah minicamp, yeah <laughs> wow, that's see that see guys that's the kind of that's the kind of analysis you get. It's the 6-inch step that Matty Brown is catching that guys like me are not. Um so is is this you you talked about how they're basically going back to what they did before. Have they scrapped the Fangio scheme or have they just kind of morphed it?
1: Well, Pete Carroll said uh in the offseason that it's a combination of defenses and I think you should I think we can believe that. Basically, the. Re- <laughs> The, a lot of this is over-generalizing, but for sure. the purposes of this not being a four-hour podcast and uh, <laughs> also being easier to understand, hopefully, uh, we, we, I will oversimplify slightly. But the reason they, they went for the Fangio defense, it was, well, one, they're running a 3-4, so let's explore that first. The 3-4 part of this is that it gives them two outside linebacker types when they're in their base style of stuff now if you remember when they're running because they ran these three four bare fronts in 2020 and 2021 which is their base we're going to stop the run it's first and 10 they're in 12 or 21 personnel that's their base approach if you remember back when seattle did that with uh, ken norton jr that was your one of your ends or your edge players in that five down bare front base look was carlos dunlap mm-hmm. and the other was there was a whole host of guys but yeah. it, benson mayowa um they Carol tried Heider. to get a reserve in there and he got hurt yeah. early uh olden smith that didn't work out mm-hmm. but that was the sam linebacker meanwhile carlos dunlap was the leo And everyone was like, why is Carlos Dunlap dropping into coverage? And they didn't do it that often. And the reason is you don't want Carlos Dunlap dropping into coverage that often. But if you want to have, and this is where I fast forward to the second reason about why they chose the Fangio system, the coverage options and multiplicity and the ability to kind of make coverages look fairly similar, you can't have a guy who's very obviously... Uh, a a Russia guy, and then another guy who's very obviously a coverage guy. The better example is KJ Wright. KJ Wright was that other edge opposite Dunlap, so it was pretty obvious that Wright, when he rushed, yeah, he rushed a bit, but not that much. Right, wasn't very believable. So rather than having a a Leo like a rush guy and then a Sam a pass guy, they are able to just play left and right. Hmm. So. Whatever side they want to drop, they're fine dropping. Whatever side they want to rush, they're fine rushing. And so you look at, like, the amount of outside linebackers they've got now and yeah. the real options there. Ho- hopefully, Dow Taylor can come back fairly soon from his yeah. shoulder thing, which is a whole separate issue. But they've got, like, they're, like, four deep with other intriguing kind of day three options there. You know, back-to-back round two picks there with Derek Cool and um, Boye Mafe. So, th- so they've got options there. And then the coverage side of it is they... Ran a lot of cover three. They were very good at it. The league kind of worked out how to do it. I was able to work out their cover three rules sat in the UK. So you bet Kyle Shanahan was. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so it proved. <laughs> and and eventually you just got to mix it up. Think about the direction of the league. Think of how it, it was all going uh, and evolve. Which Pete Carroll, by the way, has proved very good at. And he's referenced his time at the you know, San Francisco 49ers back in the 90s of this system because they did run a fair bit of kind of too high middle field open coverages, not just your middle field close, cover one or cover three, but, you know, cover four, cover two, cover six, you know, middle field open stuff, no safety yeah. in the post. So that's why coverage. And then the fact that they needed to get more, you know, they needed to get better kind of pass rush versus, uh, Coverage options, the two going hand in hand. So they're not going to ditch the Fangio system more. This is, as Pete Cowell said, it's a blend where, you know, they got the emphasis a bit wrong last year. Like you might say, why did they weren't able to coach the, the things? And honestly, like the way Pete always did it, and, and I spoke about the back end guys, but the way Pete always fit the run worked, it was very effective at stopping the run. Now, why would you know, if it wasn't working last year, which we saw how bad the nickel forefront was at fitting the run. But if it wasn't fitting the run well last year, why would you play that nose tackle like a two-gapping style? Well, as I said, it's because of the guys behind, like the the two high guys. And even in the preseason against like Pittsburgh, I remember watching that back and being like, this looks awful. Like Hmm. I can't work out what's going on here. The, The safety keys look really weird. It's just not, Familiar, like a Pete Carroll defense is, but this this training camp footage that um you you've may or may not have kindly provided um is uh it's very clear that the safeties keys are a bit a bit cleaner and they're actually coming down into the box, which is how Pete has always done it. Now the reason you wouldn't is to help them defend play action routes and 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 play the coverage, but at a certain point you can't cheat the math, and yeah. Seattle's inside backers who, it's very hard to tell how much they're wrong last year or how much they're bad at basically they're not too gapping, but they're sort of stacking their initial gap and then falling back with the cutback. So they kind of are, um, or how much it is they're expecting help behind, which never, never comes. Hmm. You know, it's, it was such a mess last year. This year, they've clearly decided to try and just clean that up, get the safety more involved. Even if he's too high. Yeah. We, we they might use a two gapper there, but he's his key is going to be much more aggressive, and he's going to come downhill on that. Um, and and so yeah, uh, that's that's a lot of stuff. But no, they're not they're not going away from the Fangio thing.
0: Okay, and and it it was interesting listening to the last part of that explanation because it reminded me of something that Pete talked about. I think it was back during OTAs in minicamp in one of his post-practice press conferences where again, he was asked so often this offseason about the struggles in the run defense last year and what they're doing to fix it. And and there was one time where uh, he kind of he kind of took the question, he said, wait a minute you guys are focusing on what was happening up front the reason we were so terrible against the run at times last year is because we were changing the way we do some coverage things. And that answer at the time didn't really make sense. But, but the way you put it, it, it just sounds like it just really speaks to the fine line between, you know, everything working in sync defensively and that they just weren't on the same page last year.
1: Yeah, there, there you go. It, it, and it is a fine line. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm much less familiar with what they're doing now compared to mm. what I managed to learn via various research about what they're doing in the previous system. But sort of seeing seeing the elements of the old system return into this current one and then the blend that they're doing that's that's it's pretty cool and I think, I think i i'm i'm feeling bullish now that i i okay it, it just seems to fit together better uh well i mean we'll have to see maybe the maybe the coverage struggles because they're 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 doing it like this but i don't think so i think they have enough like Pete carroll always used to run various different coverages especially at usc they they end up running like a lot of different coverages at times but uh it's just the way the way the fangio system can adjust within those shells is and um, within the the checks of it is it's easier, I think, to do, uh, especially like in the NFL where you don't have much practice time. It just has inbuilt things which I think are more preferable and, so.
0: it's I think one of the most remarkable storylines um to my ears and eyes, the first week and a half of, of training camp is the narrative and how it's changed around Jaron Reed that when he was signed to come back this offseason, um, that it, your co-host on Seattle Overload, Griffin Sturgeon, uh, put on Twitter a bunch of tape, uh, a bunch of instances from from his tape in Green Bay last year where he did not look good. And, and so coming back to Seattle, there were some questions about whether he could replicate his performance from a few years ago when he was here. Now to hear you say they're back to doing what he did so well back then. And also Pete dropping on us after the first workout last week that he's back to playing nose tackle. And then then on top of all that, when I had Corbin Smith on uh, a few days ago, Corbin really talking about how Jaron stood out and has stood out so far this camp with his physicality, his leadership, and how well he's playing. Were you able to glean anything from some of that mock game footage to make an assessment of where you think Jaren Reed's game is right now?
1: He lo- he looks fine. It's really hard to tell. I mean, it, like not yeah. not through the fault of the camera person, but uh,
0: it's yeah. not. I, I described it the other day. It's it's really one step up from what they do in the Pro Bowl now. It's it's contact, but it's not full speed, hundred percent. They're not. They're not. They're not going all the way through the tackle.
1: Right. Like he, he didn't mess up. So that's good. Uh, he, yeah, he, he looked solid enough. Um, and I think that, you know, the green Bay tape was rough. What's interesting about that is that they are also running a tree derivative and that most of the bad reps were him trying to mirror step or two, you know, quasi a uh, two gap, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So.
0: And he was playing end word. there, wasn't he? Was he playing three, four end for them? Yeah, He
1: was playing more okay. of the end. Uh, so like a, a four eye over the tackle sort of thing. But, uh, the, the the other thing for me with with reed is that what happened in green bay like it sounds like there was you know some some stuff which which wasn't great like culture wise like he wasn't he, you know it ended badly you know did he check out you know play, hmm. the, motivation is a thing for players and sure you know if you think someone's an arsehole who's coaching you then it yeah. doesn't help yeah. i'm not suggesting that's what happened but you know he, he himself has said stuff happening in Green Bay. I, I think John Schneider alluded to it when he saw him in the building. So what I'd say is Reed obviously loves Seattle, uh, yeah. the, the culture there, and Carol has a connection with him that you can't undervalue. So I'm basically saying, yep, uh, this 30-year-old light-nosed tackle uh, is going to get by on vibes and, and culture. But I, I, am, <laughs> I am hopeful, and I think... It's interesting as well the way, yeah, I think this revives him. I I think Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to fifty percent off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
0: We'll,
1: let's, we'll have to see. We'll let's find hope. Out
0: yeah, there sure isn't a lot of depth there. Um, let's talk about that that second unit. I thought that was that was one of the most interesting groups to watch in the mock game. It was uh, most of the time there was Cam Young and even Robert Cooper were, were rotating in. At the nose, but then you basically had uh, you had Mike Morris, you had Derek Hall, you had Tyreek Smith, and you had Miles Adams. Um, what did you see from from that unit? Uh, you concerned about the depth up front there, or did you see some things you liked?
1: I I don't know if I'm concerned about the depth. I think it's like it's intriguing uh, outside back. I think they've they've got options. Um, I think the depth. So Tyreek Smith had a he was highlighted by Clint Hurt as the standout player from, uh from mini rookie mini camp OTAs June sort of time. Mm-hmm. But uh his, his handwork was praised by her and he got, um he got Abraham Lucas on like a, a, a chop club dip thing, which, which was <laughs> nice. I like beat the first string right tackle. And what was cool about watching the twos is obviously they got up against the ones and you're like, yeah, well, can this guy play or not? You, you're about to find out. Um, Mike Morris surprised me as well because, you know, he's 6'6", he's a bigger guy, and you worry about him uh, being able to get the right pad level, to strike guys inside, and even when they're running their base uh, look with the five guys down at the line of scrimmage, you know, yeah, they they should be one-on-one in those instances, but uh, they might not be. And so you do get double-teamed sometimes, but he looked okay Against the doubles, he wasn't getting smacked back too far. He was staying on his initial guy, the guy striking with that power step forwards, and yeah, okay, he's gonna get moved slightly, but he, he looked yeah. good. Like the technique from uh, the Michigan stuff to now, he's, it's clear like he's taking on board their coaching, and he also had a really nice. They ran like an interior twist. He had a really nice win uh, up up inside on that, uh, which would have been a sack. Luckily, he didn't go and demolish Geno Smith. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a, a way to make a story. But no, he he looked pretty interesting. Enough kind of juice on the inside uh, as a pass rusher as well f- from his college football stuff to be. He's like the mirror for um, uh, Mario Edwards, uh, 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 the first string kind of player, mm-hmm. um, or even a Draymond Jones. Like you can just see that, and and the way that you know every single time uh, an inside Russia gets mentioned, Michael Bennett is referenced, but like, you know, that kind of style and uh, yeah, I- I- encouraging juice. And then Cameron Young, uh, I was big, like I say big, I watched him and was like, oh, this guy's seahawky And then just the way he strikes guys with that power step,
0: mm. uh,
1: then lo and behold, they go and draft him. And then, yeah, the, He's big. He strikes guys well. He pl- he plays nice in the shade. Uh, he he, in the bear stuff, the nose tackle still is kind of two gapping. His main deal is to mirror where the center goes, catch him, and then win into the backside gap on most of the plays. Young will have to adjust to that, but he looked interesting and like he had very strong strength in the SEC. Mm-hmm. Lo and behold, like uh, in. Uh, The NFL, he can still knock back guys. And he caused Evan Brown some problems. Like, And Evan Brown is a center. Like, centers tend to be a bit smaller. But, like, it was encouraging to see him testing Brown's anchor, you know, Hmm. uh, some... Some really cool stuff,
0: especially and in then, light of uh, the fact that uh, that Bob Condota has said over the last couple of days that it appears that Evan Brown's going to be the guy to start there, as much as they've rotated Olawatimi and Brown throughout camp so far, it, it looks like they're leaning that way. So, certainly encouraging that you saw that out of Young. And what I cut you off there, what were you going to say next?
1: Oh, just De- Derek Hall, uh, I really Derek Hall's stuff, which I saw, is kind of just testament to Charles Cross, like being such an incredible um well an incredible player right now and that second year leap that the tackles are gonna take the rookie tack yeah. or not rookie sophomore tackles are gonna take is very interesting but yeah cr- cross could be like you know pro pole even better honors you know like
0: hmm.
1: but he 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 just he just kicked his butt basically he just <laughs> won every rep and, I- and Hall is a blend of power size speed and, and cross just had it so
0: I'm glad you brought that up that is that does seem to be emerging also as one of the consistent storylines of this camp um, uh, along with you know Jackson Smith and jigbo what he's doing has sort of been the headliner almost on a daily basis but the fact that most people tend to think that Charles Cross looks like a, a, a different player this year even as well as he did play for a rookie uh, last year is encouraging. Um, I want to talk uh, before I let you go I want to talk a little bit about the back end because this has been another point point of discussion, um, among fans. And, um, I want to get some clarity from you. There is a, a, huge segment of the fan base that hates the fact that Devin Witherspoon is playing so much slot corner, uh, whether it be out of necessity, because they're just going to play, you said it earlier, uh, just a few minutes ago, they're, they're playing more nickel and that's just, that's just kind of the direction of the league. Right. Um, and especially the division they play in, um, you know, Pete's talked about it it's a way to get his best his best players on the field all at the same time because Mike Jackson just refuses to show uh, at all that he doesn't belong on the field what I I don't I've tried to understand it and maybe I used to have maybe I used to think this way so so I try to understand how some fans can think that way that somehow there's a there's a value attached to to nickel corner versus outside that doesn't line up with what people think a, f- a number five pick, the value of that pick should be. What are your thoughts on Witherspoon initially in his career anyway, uh, it appears to be playing so much slot corner?
1: Yeah, the, I don't know why like it's not 1990 something like a nickel <laughs> corner is pretty valuable. Now I understand wanting to see them as much as possible, but it's not out of the, you know, it's not out of the running that Witherspoon starts off in base outside and then, uh, you know, shifts, shifts inside when Seattle goes into their sub packages, yeah. but like Kobe Bryant played almost 800 snaps last year, the, the nickel, you know, that's a lot of snaps given Kwan mm-hmm. Diggs played 1,166 or something like that. Like gives you quite a good idea. And Witherspoon, if you look at his tape, where does he flash the most? Okay, he you know he has uh, plays with a technique which I think uh, Carl Scott's gonna really enjoy and probably is really enjoying in the way that he, he and you know I mentioned the coverage versatility of the, the Fangio system the multiplicity and I think you know it suits that on the outside but his big splash plays uh, close to the ball uh, close to the line of scrimmage uh, coming as a blitzer as well and if you think about the NFL hash marks which are tighter than college how do you get someone closer to where the ball is Well, playing them on the outside ain't going to help. You don't have a really short side of the field like in college where there's a short boundary. What you have to do is you play them in the slot. And that's what Witherspoon can do. Now, not only is that valuable, but imagine being able to uh, have a... Think about... You you mentioned the NFC West and how nickel is pretty important. Think about like a Cooper Cup, Mm -hmm. uh, you know... I'm blanking on other names because offense doesn't matter. But uh, think about the kind of <laughs> weapons that these these offensive guys have in the slot. Yeah. Debo Samuel, yep. Witherspoon's got that uh, competitive nature which you need in the slot because it's tough. Um, he also allows you to run basically any coverage without really worrying about him. Uh, you know, like he could do cover one in the slot in theory. Like his technique shows that. I haven't seen it yet, but that's the thinking. Uh, along with you can blitz him pretty easily. If Jamal Adams is going to be out, you need a kind of blitz option, which isn't Bobby Wagner.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, it's, it? And he's going to play a lot. And what's really cool about it is the reason it's happened is, OK, he's had business to sort out. Fair enough. He's got that done. But like you said, Mike Jackson suddenly is having this ferocious battle on the right side with Trey Brown, who yeah. I... Completely forgot about basically, poor, poor Trey, but he had he was really good in 2021. Yeah. He's playing on the left side, which is in theory the open spot now that um, Rick Woolen's back. And Brown and Jackson are just going to go at it at left corner back, where obviously Jackson did quietly well last season. So, yeah, with, with a spoon in the slot, it should be very, very exciting. Like in the slot, you can do, you can do much more things with a player than you can uh, on the outside. And it's why, even in college, where there's those tighter. Uh, the wider hash marks, and you can send a perimeter cornerback blitz a lot easier. But even in college, it's why uh, Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, those kind of defenses, uh, even Dave Veranda, who's another kind of defensive uh, well, genius, basically, uh, they put like the most athletic guy in the slot, uh, the best player in theory, like because it, it's where you win the matchups and those offenses get more spread out. You can do uh, a lot of things with that player. Now, Witherspoon ain't, ain't the biggest guy, but he, he right. hit big and, and he, his movement skills are, are incredible. So yeah, people, people, uh, it's okay. It's all going to be okay. Yeah. There, there is, me- there's, there's no, exactly there's a
0: lot of method. Well, and it's, it'll be interesting to see at the end of the year, you talk about snap counts. Um, uh, how many snaps Devin Witherspoon plays versus how many snaps Jalen Carter ends up playing in Philadelphia. Because, you know, I, I think those same fans that freak out about, you know, value at the fifth pick and a guy playing slot corner, um, it is, you know, would those same people be freaking out if Jalen Carter had been the pick and he was a rotational tackle the way the Seahawks typically use their defensive lineman and he ends up playing 30% of the snaps, 40% of the snaps. Uh it's not out of the realm of possibility that Devin Witherspoon will play more snaps this year than Jalen Carter in Philadelphia. So um anyway, uh we could talk about that for another 10 minutes. Maddie, time flies when you're on, man. <laughs> it flies.
1: It does. I, I I uh I should uh be more succinct, but oh, unfortunately schematic you're schematic fantastic. uh conversation can can get a bit lengthy.
0: Well, and I'll have, you know how like the hearing impaired, the little box I'll have an um uh, I will have a uh, an interpreter uh, inserted down in the corner, and nice, we'll, we'll because get everybody. You
1: probably need two: <laughs> one for the, the British accent, and then two for the the scheme stuff. It's yeah. double double foreign to people. Terrible.
0: Well, uh, let's do this. Um, you know, I've I've talked about the Seattle Overload podcast that you do with Griffin Sturgeon, but tell people about your Substack.
1: Yeah, so my Substack: uh, www.seahawksontape.com that's where I explain this stuff with video and pictures and quotes from Pete Carroll and and uh, John Schneider and players and stuff. And it really is what you're saying at the start. Like, the reason I got into this is why. Uh, obviously, the internet, as you mentioned, and technology, I wouldn't be able to learn all this without that. Uh, but it's accelerated my learning. Uh, and I coach the game. So I try and bring a coach's mind to it. But also understanding that this is quite complicated if you're not a, a massive nerd like me, so trying to explain why something happened or how it happened or or what it means and and with the idea of it gives a slightly deeper meaning to to this whole whole deal and and you can better understand the Seattle Seahawks.
0: Absolutely, which we're always trying to do, um, as we head into this season with the the preseason starting on Thursday against the Minnesota Vikings. You can follow him on Twitter at Matty F Brown. Matty, it's good to have you on. It had been too long. Let's make let's make sure it's not that long again before we get you back on the show. Maybe uh, uh, maybe sometime around the the quarter poll or a third of the way into the season, and, and uh, talk about what you you're seeing during the regular season on the field from the Seahawks. I appreciate you being here, man.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Dad.
0: Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks forever. Like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel or the audio version wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, If you haven't caught my episode with uh, Ryan Leaf, uh, definitely do that. Uh, Posted that one yesterday. Coming up this week, I will, of course, react to the Seahawks' performance against the Vikings in their preseason game on Thursday and then any news that should happen throughout, throughout the week as well. Until then, forever and always, go Hawks.